0: Gaming NBS, episode 184, coming to you Wednesday, March 28th, 2018. Welcome to Gaming NBS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean.
1: And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad to have you all here.
0: And without further ado...
1: Yeah, we might as well introduce some because if we don't, it'll, we'll just creep in there. and make Coming
0: to you from planet Earth, Eric the Hoff Hoffman from Stormlord Publishing, publisher of Black Powder Black Magic, and the Treasure Vaults of Sabadad. 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 zippity doo It's
2: <laughs> awesome, though, I'll tell you that. Zip, zop, zooey. Welcome
0: to the show, Eric.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: And then, before you knew him as Jason Hobbs, Scott Hubs from Hobbs and Friends of the OSR. Jason Hobbs.
3: Hey, everybody. How's it going? What? The the,
1: the enthusiasm (laughs) that he brings to every show, it's just energy, energy, energy.
3: Oh, my God. That's right. Yeah,
1: He's like the little Richard of uh podcasting. Woo! He's always on. This is awesome.
3: <laughs> little Richard.
1: Yeah. You're little showing Richard. your age, Brett. Well, I just figured Little Richard never got an award, neither will we. I figure we'll stick <laughs> in that. We'll stay there. <laughs> Holy
3: cow. Uh well thanks for having me guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh,
1: thank you guys for being here.
0: Yeah. We've got him on the show to talk about the topic, but before we do that, let's uh talk about the announcements, Brett.
1: Yeah, so we started off this year, I shouldn't say we started off this year, Sean and I were noodling on some stuff that we needed to do this year, what are we going to do different, should we change the show or not, and we said it last episode, and Sean brought it up and said, yeah, we need to do another listener survey, let's throw it out there and get folks to uh, talk to us, hey, what do you like, what don't you like, and so on, and I believe it went out just last week, and last time we did it, we had 29, 30 responses, and this time we've got over 77 people have already responded back. So thank you very much for everybody who's taken the time to do that. <laughs> it's, been... it's always really helpful just to hear what people have to say. And sometimes, <coughs> excuse me, you're going to get somebody who says, hey, I really think you guys should do X, and it might be a thing. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Um, so we're not going to, and that's fine. You know, it's obviously... You know, we just want the input. We want to see what's going on and watch for major themes. If somebody's like, hey, I don't like this section, or I think this is annoying, or hey, could you do more of X? And more people talk about a thing, there's more reason to change something that way. So, Sean, how are the uh, other than that? <laughs> how long do you plan to run it? How long do you plan How long do you want to run this thing? Uh,
0: I figured till the end of the year.
1: No, end of the year? Jesus. No,
0: no. Maybe, uh, what is today, March? Uh, we'll probably go middle April, tax yeah. season. Okay, tax so
1: day. April 15th. Yeah.
0: The, All right. Uh, so, yeah, a couple weeks from when this drops. The only problem is, is that we get a lot of good feedback because it's the people that are probably listening and know that we have a survey out there. So, we get some constructive comments, which is great. But the people that have fallen off, they're not, they're not in tune enough to say, "Hey,
1: hey, <laughs> I dropped. Sucked. I dropped because I didn't like this." Oh, yeah. Well, what do you gonna ex- do?
0: Exactly right. So kind of.
1: Man, know. if
3: only you guys knew someone else with a podcast, they could say something about it on their podcast. Well,
1: I'm trying to find. The problem is, we're trying to find someone who's got like more than ten listeners, and we're just struggling <laughs> to find.
3: Wow. <laughs> wow! Wow! Are you guys talking about Spellburn again?
1: A little oh. bit, yeah, a little bit. I hate to, you know, I hate to bring them up here and just smash them like that. Ouch. But there we go.
0: That's any award-winning turf you're 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 <laughs> trouncing on <laughs> Spellburn. Oh,
1: General, Je- Je- just punch me next time. Whatever. <laughs>
0: All right, let's get into Random Encounter.
1: Let's do it. Let's go.
0: All right. Got one this week. I didn't list all the comments on the last episode on Google+. I'll put a link in the show notes for those of you that wanted to get in on some decent um, and some lengthy conversation regarding the last episode, which was dealing with do you roll or not. When you're dealing with some systems,
1: oh, it was, it was the um, narrative um, da, 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 permission versus, you know, saying, "Hey, I've got a rope, therefore I can climb down down this pit without having to make you know five different die rolls, whatever." So it was it was a, it was an interesting topic. Um, Jared Rasher brought it up on a different post over at director Mark. We stole it, made it our own, and uh, yeah. So we'll have a link out there. Dig into that, and we might be able to cut through and pull some of those bits of feedback out into next episode but with both uh, Hoffman and Hobbs here we want to make sure we had plenty of time for the four of us to go back and forth so Sean off to you
0: all right I will read Carl Davis emailed us about 182 which was a couple episodes ago says I ran a number of Dragonlance games at Gen Con for many years and had adventures that started as first edition AD&D and were converted over time up through version 3.5 let me rephrase that. And we're converted over time up through version 3.5. So this is what he's referring to, our conversion episode. Of course, moving from one D&D version to another should be easier, but new rules and concepts always complicated the process. What I understood is that the actual creature, traps, or whatever were really just there to tell the story. I started asking myself, what is this encounter supposed to do to move the story forward? Converting stat block or making sure the DC for a trap was right became secondary once this was recognized. If your system doesn't have an old creature or it is too different, it is no problem if you know why it is there and what the purpose is. Pick something new or adjust stats to address the need, so you don't need to figure out how to convert your favorite god from deities and demigods to keep it interesting in a new system. Obvious, they, these were non-con games that needed to showcase each character sometime and have a tight narrative, so this might not work for every campaign, game, or setting. Just wanted to weigh in on the topic and keep up the great work, guys. It seems to have become obligatory to take sides, so I'll say both of you were right. I'll take it. <laughs> Carl, come on, man. Yeah. I, I know. I know the deal, dude.
1: Yeah, it just doesn't want to say Sean's right because it just sounds wrong. Yeah,
0: that's just going to become, like, routine, and it'll grow old and lose its authenticity. I get it. So yeah. before
1: we move on with this one, Eric, um, when <clears throat> have you ever done the whole, hey, I want to take this um, old-school adventure and modify it for a different rule set? You know, mm-hmm. we we talked specifically about, like, you know, moving a and d You know, let's say you want to take... Um, Keeping the borderlands and you don't, you don't want to spend the money to buy um, the goodman games. You want to convert it yourself. Do you, are you a big believer in converting the whole adventure or do you kind of just wing it when you go through it or do you not even bother to do that type of thing?
2: Yeah. So, so the answer is yes. I've converted a lot of different things um, for various different systems and probably converted keep on the borderlands for every system um, at some point. Um, well, maybe not fourth edition. I never played fourth edition, but, um, and I, have done it both, both ways, a couple of different ways. Um, uh, 3.0, 3. 3.X, 3.5, when that really came out and Wizards of the coast took over the brand, uh, they had a lot of conversion rules. And so I went and like officially converted like the way that it was supposed to be done, some older modules. And, um, you know, that worked kind of okay. Cause I think the, for the most part, the, um, kind of the power levels and all kind of mapped and kind of kind of worked um, but then i played in a conversion of uh an old school module uh one of the lindenor uh boat secret of bone hill uh, in a 5e game when 5e first came out and that was kind of a disaster because it was um not that the gm didn't do a good job converting it uh, it's just that the, the the systems were so different and some of the uh, the items that were in the like our characters were underpowered, but um, but then we ended up lucking through this one encounter and getting some magic items that were way above the power scale. So it was an inter- interesting kind of introduction. It was our first time I, I played Five E, and um, it really didn't work. <laughs> that's great. First time
1: playing the new system, and it sucks. That's great. That's a good. That's a good way to hook a guy right there. Hobbs, have you done? Have you done that? You done the old conversion bed, or do you just kind of wing it through? uh mostly i'm just winging
3: through for the few games of 5e that i've ran i've been trying to use published materials that i'm not that good at but i do know that our boy jay murphy is one of the people that was uh converting a bunch of the old stuff into 5e uh, who's he doing that with eric do you remember?
2: You know, I'm not sure. He never talks about that. But um, I think he was just doing it through DM's Guild or something, right? Isn't there some, like, oh, Stan Shin. path you can take? Oh, Stan? Stan Shin. Okay. Yeah,
3: Stan Shin, and then he had some guys helping him, and I know Jay did some of them because he was talking about it quite a bit, um, I don't know, last year at this time or probably is when they were doing that. So
1: Hobbs, have you even done it with, like, I know you like Axe. Do you ever take one of the old school stuff and say, all right, I'll turn this into uh, Adventure Conquer King thing oh. and then do that type of hack?
3: Well, absolutely, but, you know, when we're talking about OSR games, those are all close enough that there's not a whole lot of things to add anyway. I mean, if you're mixing Swords and Wizardry, Labyrinth, Lord, BX, and Axe, I mean, all those things, the chassis is pretty close anyway, so there's not a lot of conversion that's necessary. So Axe to 2nd Edition, D&D
1: is basically the same thing, huh? Uh,
3: I, get, I, I don't ever say 2nd <laughs> Edition. I usually say 1st Edition, but, I mean, I'm not running 2nd Edition now, so... No, that that's a good,
1: that's a fair point. And when you're looking at a game system, I think we're going is the chassis is so similar, and it's rulings over rules, and just kind of the, the spirit of that of that gaming style. The hardcore point for point doesn't seem to matter as much, huh?
3: Yeah, I don't I don't think so. It's it's interesting to see what the guys that I play with are usually familiar with most of these systems, uh, and it's always kind of interesting if I say, oh no, this wizard says he knows a new spell that no one else knows. And even if I say it was something like uh, I explained, oh, yeah, I can fan fire out of my fingers. And they're like, oh, well, which Burning Hands is this? Is this first edition? Is it Axe? Is it Swords <laughs> and Wizardry? Because they're all different, right? They all have different uh, uh, mechanics behind them. So, yep. um, cool. I, yeah, I don't know. I'll use whatever, though. Uh, I think it's a cool idea, and I'm glad that you guys talked about it. I think it's a lot harder to convert older school stuff into 5e uh, just because of you have to have the stat block for 5e is pretty
1: extensive compared to those
3: games. So it's going to take some work, I think.
1: Agreed. I think that's kind of where we ended up. Cool. All right, man. Anything else on the Sean?
0: No, thanks Carl for writing in and everybody that's commented specifically over on G plus, cause it was pretty, pretty lengthy over there. So check it out. We'll link in the show notes for that. Moving on to the main topic and why these guys are on the show this week oh my goodness
1: yeah so sean and i have chatted about the idea of a hex crawl in the past we have i've mentioned the fact that jason hobbs and i have thrown out um over kind of side banter about hey the avalon city thing you can do city-based hex crawl you know that could be a really cool way to flesh out a large city like an avalon or something along those lines that could be really cool And it dawned on me as we were kind of going through this, I'm like, you know, we've never, we've kind of generically talked about a hex crawl as a thing, you know, that that people do that's similar to a dungeon crawl, similar to a, but we really haven't delved into what makes, what actually is a hex crawl. how How does one use it? How does one build it? And, um, you know, how is it? Is it a style of game in and of itself? Does it interface with your regular game or all of those different bits and pieces? So we figure we get Eric and Jason on here and see if we can sort it out. So, Jason Hobbs, what would you, how would you define a hex crawl? What would you, I look at you and say, what the fuck is a hex crawl? You're going to say, it's the fuck what? What is it?
3: Well, I would say for me, the best person to define that is the guy who knows the most history on the subject, and that would be the Hoffman. So I'm going to pass this question to
0: Eric Hoffman. Oh, I just, uh, that's good. That's good. I don't think that's a first on this show.
2: I was not aware that we could pass. (laughs) (laughs) I did I'm checking the rules right now. Hang on, hang on. I don't even know. Can you, hang on. Is that legal? Yeah, all right. Pass. I got nothing. Nothing in the book. Go on. (laughs) We need a DM ruling on that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm. it's funny that we just, um, on Hobbs' podcast, we just started, this was just a, a subject that I happened to be on when that was the subject chosen for the podcast. And now all of a sudden, I'm like some kind of an industry-leading expert on hex crawls. That's <laughs> hilarious to me because I'm absolutely not. Yeah. Um, uh, there's plenty of people in the community who know a lot more about it than I do, certainly. Yeah, but you're but, the um, only one
1: we know who would talk to us. <laughs> so, yeah,
2: right, I'm the only one, the only one available.
1: Yeah. Not that there isn't um, better, just no one else talks to us due to the judge's orders, so.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, it is a style of, of, of the game that I've been playing for a long time because of the way I came into the hobby through uh, board wargaming and Avalon Hill games and, and a fascination with maps, right, before uh, my whole life. So, um, I mean, the way I describe a hex crawl is it's just Dungeons & Dragons or whatever role-playing game you're playing. Um, and and it's usually used as a term in, um, in I guess, opposition to a dungeon crawl. Where a dungeon crawl is you're either in a mega dungeon or a series of dungeons, and the focus of the campaign is you're going room to room in a dungeon. Well, in a hex crawl, there's another layer on top of that. Um, and for me, that all started with... Um, in the BX edition of the game, with the expert rulebook, which was the wilderness rules, and that's, you know, hex crawling is just kind of moving hex to hex on an overland map, um, and really uh, for for people who say like oh they're intimidated I don't know how I don't know how to do that, um, it can it can really be as simple as this kind of a concept that, you know, in a dungeon you you have corridors and rooms right and you go you have a limited set of options which is kind of the way the game originally was so that it. When you have a game where, in theory, players can do everything because everything's happening in your mind, it's like, well, how do you limit that to get some control around it as a GM? And, um, and so when people expand out to the your outside, you can go anywhere you want. Well, how do you get control over that as a DM? Just, you know, I like to think of a hex crawl as a, a dungeon crawl where just every room has six exits, right? It's the same thing. Um, the same kinds of things can happen. You can have monsters, traps, treasure, whatever. Um, in those hexes um, players can move through them to get to another one like they often do in a dungeon or they can uh, have adventures within that hex right and then of course this can all be layered over top of um, regular dungeon crawls right there are dungeons in hexes that then uh, uh, kind of the scope of the game changes but that's kind of it in a nutshell
1: because i always think of the hex crawl as kind of the macro versus the micro right like it's way up on top and you're doing it to go somewhere. You went from this section of woods to the hilly section closer to the to the mountains or whatever. Sean's laughing at something. I'm not sure what I just did that is making him laugh. But anyway, Hobbs
0: Hobbs is dicking with the goddamn show notes. That's what he's doing. Oh, that's
1: that's lovely. <laughs> <clears throat> that's lovely. Anyway, hey, so I am paying, hey, paying attention. Are you? Okay, right. good, yeah? Okay, good. I'm, of course, man. I'm totally engaged. <laughs> anyway, Eric, well, as you and I were saying, um, <clears throat> I've always viewed it as kind of this larger overlaying thing, and it's it's a um, a mechanism to get you from point A to point B because point B is where the real action is. So is – and perhaps that's because I'm choosing – or when I'm thinking of it, I think of the hexes being – maybe the scale of it is so big where a hex is many miles of space. Does that – I guess is there a scale to the hex that makes it more crawly feeling than – I don't know – probably fucking around and not and not saying this right but it feels like it's like you're just going from one place to another like, okay i went from this piece of desert to that piece of desert i found nothing next piece of desert oh here's a dungeon now i finally get to the real game so how does the hex the how does the marching through the hexes on the larger overland map um feel is is that the real game behind it or is it like just a conveyance to get you to the next dungeon does
2: that does that make sense so, so- yeah, so I definitely, I think it can be both, right? I mean, in a lot of games, um, any kind of wilderness travel, I, I don't really call that a hex crawl. I think that's just, uh, the hexes are a way to break up the map for wilderness travel. And that's definitely a thing you can do. But I think when you say hex crawl, it's it's more about the focus of the campaign is around that exploration and that movement in the wilderness, as opposed to just getting from point A to point B. Uh, point A to point B is just what wilderness encounter tables are for, you know, and that's... Um, They don't they're not really intended to provide any emergent gameplay to be an adventure in and of themselves or um, even to have a um, whether it's an overarching story to the campaign or whether it's just the actions that take place in a campaign like exploration. um, They don't really create anything extra. It's just a way to mark time. You know, Um, famously, Gary Gygax said, if you're not accurately keeping time, you're not really playing. Uh, a campaign of Dungeons and Dragons, right, yep. right? So, so I think some people just, you know, that's they've got a role for every time you move from point A to point B, or else it doesn't feel like you're keeping time, I guess. But that's not really what I what I consider a hex crawl. Hex crawl is where the campaign elements really are are in the moving from hex to hex. Now, whether that happens to be in a points of light kind of campaign, where where between those points of light everything's so dangerous, it's it's necessary to really, you know. Find out what happens between those two, or if it's more of a sandbox type of uh, West Marches campaign where exploration is as much the goal as uh, getting from point A to point B. Okay,
1: because Sean and I had talked a while back about exploration as kind of just as a topic of how to how to do that, and that's kind of where I think we started mentioning the hex crawl more and more because it does feel naturally like if you basically have a blank hex map in front of you, much like you have a blank grid map grid map for your dungeon. I don't know what's in the next hex, so <clears throat> I'm assuming when I walk in to this, you know, five five mile diameter hex that it's it's forest. Okay, what's past the next piece of it? And I go to the next piece. Wow, it gets hilly here because you, you don't know. So I guess it it does. I what you're saying makes sense, right? If you want to, it's a really good tool to have that. I'm exploring stuff. I don't know what is in this in this on this map at all, so I've got to go poke around and see what's in each individual hex and then if that hex happens to have a lost tomb or it has a spaceport or whatever wonkiness you want to cram into it, there's the potential to dig deeper into that specific space. But otherwise then okay that's here and then just keep going.
3: I would say that's part of it, but you're normally going to have uh hooks of some sort, even though you may not as a GM even necessarily know exactly what the hook is. So when you make your hex crawl map you're usually going to start with uh, a location that is your safe zone, uh, like a town or a village or, or whatever is gonna, even if it's like a space game, you could have a space type of hex crawl that would just be a you know a space station or whatever. But uh, we'll keep it in fantasy because it's easier maybe to just, to define. Uh, I usually I don't see people just wandering uh, willy nilly to find out what's over the next hill, although that is an aspect of it sometimes. Um, I would say the most successful time because you have too much the characters can do and if you don't narrow it down in some ways by giving them rumors like that's why a rumor table is commonly attached to a hex crawl which gives them clues about what they want to ask about in the safe place before they decide to head off to the new one um but that isn't always the case in a west marches right eric (laughs)
2: yeah yeah that's that's true um I guess it's a combination of knowing what's over there knowing you know an idea of where you might be going and then the DM sometimes knows what's there and sometimes doesn't um, it's really flexible I mean it's kind of saying what 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 kind of a dungeon crawl is there right there's lots of different kinds so um, it's 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 difficult to pin down what a hex crawl is I think it's it's more than just moving in the wilderness right um, but but past that there's lots of different. Uh, ways you can go with it, but I think the the main thing is it's more than moving through the wilderness and there is a an element of the campaign, whatever that happens to be, that is really uh, centered around uh, outdoor encounters, if you will, Now, whether that's just movement, actually finding dungeons, or just having um, the campaign take place outdoors. When you, you did... Said, oh, if, go,
1: go ahead. No, I was going to say, when you... So, Jason, if you're going to set one up, would you... Would you... Trad- I guess would you prefer to sit down and kind of map out what the overland itself looks like and then have people go to it, or are you more of the, well, here's, it's, you know, X number of hexes, by X number of hexes, wide and high, and uh, we'll just see what they find in there. Do you like to do it more kind of, do you do a lot more prep in yours, or how, how do you like to run them when you do it?
3: Um, in the few that I've actually done, I usually will create uh, the overland map. Okay. Um, and then and I'll pinpoint where, you know, the safe zone is or the starting base. And then I may define some regions that uh, are around that area that I know, and then name them in a way that might be interesting and maybe give a little piece of information to the people. I may have a, a like I'll maybe take two or three set locations that I'll want to be around because usually if I'm starting this, I'm probably starting you know at a lower level. We'll talk about fantasy again, uh, first level characters, and um, it's totally not balanced. But usually the closest places to the safe area are going to be less hostile and more appropriate for uh, that sort of level to be searching around. And so I have these three areas that I've, you know, kept around in, in a few regions that are around the safe space. And uh, I'll then I'll put hooks for those three things. But uh, not necessarily say, all right, the king is telling you to go there. It won't be like that. It'll just be more like, because most of the time you're talking murder hobos in a hex crawl because... Holy cow! My cat is going crazy.
0: <laughs> There's like another cat outside or something. Not my cat. For the, it's not my cat for the record.
3: So uh, in that in that situation, you're still giving the players as much agency as possible. So I think in this type of game, a hex crawl usually does that. And if you, I mean, I guess I don't know how deeply we want to get into it, but if you want to
2: what the fuck did you just do to that cat
3: dude <laughs> no someone's out a cat's outside making it go crazy all right eric someone else can finish this up and i'll take care of my cat quick
1: <laughs> uh, i'm just fascinated with what's gonna happen with that cat. <laughs> yeah, that's just weird um so so eric when, when so i'll take over say, when, yeah. when you set up a hex <laughs> when you set up a hex crawl i mean what if you don't mind even if it's just kind of you know but do you have a process as you go through or do you do you wing it do you map it out how do you how do you attack this thing
2: yeah, so I've done a lot of different ways. Where where I'm at right now um, is really trying to create games that are as interesting for me as the GM to play, as it is for the players. Um, with um, kind of the, the time that I have for my role playing today, I've moved through kind of the phases as I got older and played different games and different editions of Building Grand Stories, and going from a board game like Dungeon to Building Grand Stories and like Second Edition and um, to balanced encounters in third edition and now I'm kind of at a place where I want to have as much fun in the in between the hours of the gaming session that the players do, which means I want to be surprised like I want to see um, so the way I create my hex crawls today is uh, like Hobb said, start with the starting town and create a few uh, set pieces that are out there that are kind of known to be out there for the players to start going to. Um, and then I spend a lot of time building, and, and this idea I really stole from and got a lot of inspiration from uh, Ben Robbins, who uh, ran the first West Marches campaign, which has become a style of campaign all of, of its own, um, and his blog post about how he set it up. And it's um, taking wilderness regions almost like you would levels of a dungeon. Um, not levels in the sense necessarily of power, but thematic, right? In the old dungeons, like this was the level with the orcs and this was a level with the kobolds, and this was the level with the giant bowling alley, no matter how gonzo you wanted to get. Um, And, and so I have regions that have a feel to them. And the way that I evoke that feeling isn't by just creating what's in them necessarily, but I create, The possibilities of were in them. So, like wandering encounter tables, right? It's you know, in this particular, in the rattling bog, right? You're very likely to run into crocodiles and frogmen, and maybe uh, a the unique uh, kind of boss monster there is the swamp hag, right? I've used that region in a couple different hex crawls I've done, and that's very different from the from the lower woods, which is um, a lot easier area. It's got some goblins, maybe you run into some friendly elves, some lumberjacks, right? It's not nearly as deadly. Like the toughest thing you're going to run into there is like the one giant dire boar that makes its home there, and um, if you you know that kind of thing. So uh, the players kind of get a feel of the area that they're in, just like a level of a dungeon in in these regions, these wilderness regions. And then uh, I spend a fair amount of time creating tables that really work together. This is something I've been tinkering with a lot lately, and um, where you have wandering encounter tables that really are not just roll 1d6 and this is the kind of monster you encounter, right? It's playing with dice probabilities, playing with not just monsters, but um, what those monsters are doing, multiple encounters at the same time, um, how those re- those relate to each other, and um, things that aren't necessarily just, just a, a fight, right? It, or, or negotiation hazards that slow down your movement and might make you might make players say, all right, I want to get from this point to this point and it's going to take me a day to get there. Well, in the round, in, you know, you get a wandering encounter and it's not a war band, but it's a, it's a ravine. You just run into a ravine. You've got to kind of backtrack to go around it and all of a sudden now you don't have enough movement to get to the place you wanted to get to and players have to start making decisions and to me, that's the fun of it um, today is to kind of cr- to, to create those situations randomly and emergently so that I don't just you know, railroad players. It's really, it's evolving and I'm as excited and as, as interested in how they respond to these things as they are.
1: Okay. So I got two cool things I picked out. Of. One, I want to love, I love the concept of the random table, especially in this hex crawl thing. It helps it so that it's not like I, even if I have the map and the regions laid out, I know where the orcs are and where the hag is and where the swamp dragon is. And I know that shit, but how they get there and what encounters they have along the way, having it be, Truly, ran them off a table is pretty freaking cool because then, oh wow, it did. It took it should have taken them a week to get there, but it took them a month because of what happened. They got lost, and this happened, and an earthquake, and a ravine, and and so on. So that's pretty cool. And the other thing that I I really liked that you said up front, and you expanded on, was the idea of regions because you know I hadn't thought about it in the the dungeon region type of thing but you're right i mean some of the old, old school ones you would have the orc level or even if it was just like here's where the the first level monsters are your kobolds and your goblins and your pathetic little critters and as you got down then there were mind flayers and beholders and nastier shit and if you take it from a from an overland map perspective and even if you're like well, how do i even start this thing to say well you know <clears throat> what type of landscape would you like them to encounter well i'd really like to have like a desert all right here's some desert type area. Well, what type of things live there? And you don't necessarily even need to plop the individual creatures in certain hexes or whatever. Having them in the charts and so on helps to do that. And I think by laying out regions, as you said, that got my mind working right away as to probabilities for different dungeons and encounters and all that stuff. So that's pretty cool. I like that idea because yeah, you're going to end up. You're not going to end up, you know, feeling like they're just <clears throat> uncovering the computer map where everything's kind of pre-generated. You know, it's kind of got the guys know what you're gonna bump into when you when you head out uh, southeast from this hex today. So that's pretty cool,
2: for sure. Yeah, and I think it's um, you, people get intimidated by when it's just a big wilderness map. Like I've got to stock this whole thing. No, you really don't. You just have to. Instead of the time you would spend stocking dungeon rooms, you just stock um probabilities. Right. I mean, it's it's um, and and I've always been way more fascinated with the things that come up there. It ends up being way more creative than I could have created if I just would have sat down and wrote a detailed explanation of everything going on in every X. Um, Instead of doing that, I just create some tables that work with each other. And it's always, first of all, again, my goal is to be entertained when I'm playing, not just read what I wrote back to people. Um, And and then also, it always ends up being more fun than I could have written anyway.
1: So if you have an idea on a table, if I'm following you correctly, you could say, you know, Wandering Goblin Band from Burned Out Village. You know, they encounter that, they have a discussion, and somewhere in that discussion somebody says, you know, kind of where are you coming from, and then it's from, you know, village blah over in the hills, and you point vaguely to the north. And God knows what they could do, right? They could strike a deal with the goblins, they could pick up a clue, they could do any sorts of, they could just slaughter the shit out of them and never get anything out of it. But by having, instead of it just being, like you say, just a random list of things, Like, oh, there's five goblins, there's earthquake, or whatever. Having it be open-ended-ish, you're going to run into all that creativity. It'll just start flowing, and people ask questions, and then one thing leads to another. Because you didn't stock it room for room, you don't have to really adjust anything. You thematically stock the place. So all you have to do is roll with whatever works, and if they ask a question, you don't have the answer. Stick within the theme of that zone, if it's a desert type of zone, or a frozen tundra or whatever, or, you know, this is the place where the ogres are, well, stick with the ogre theme and you should be good. And even if the thing is a direct affront to the ogre theme, that's fine. Just make sure you have a reason as to how it's surviving in a direct affront to the ogre theme. Is that, am I following you there or am I off?
2: For sure. Yeah. And that's, um, and, and so that's the kind of things that come out of it. Now, now just take it to the next level and, you know, really blow your mind in that, Instead of writing that you come across a goblin warband that just burned a village, have have on that one wandering table, burned out village is just one encounter. Goblins are another, but so are humans from the next town over. And so maybe you get that burned out village, and then you have a mechanic where you can have two of those encounters at the same time. The one I'm playing with right now is if I roll, I'm rolling a 2d6 encounter table, and if I roll doubles, then I take that encounter that I rolled and then roll again. And so... And then I figure out how those two things are, are working with each other. And so it could be that burned-out village with the goblins, like you described.
1: Or it could be the humans. it's pretty
2: straightforward. Right. And, or it could be a goblin village that humans burn. And why are they doing that? And then here's another wrinkle to put into it. One of those uh, slots on that 2D6 encounter chart is going to be adjacent region, which means it's not something from that region. Something's moved from another region over. So maybe it's a burned-out village, and it's the froglings that live in a swamp have left the swamp for some reason to come burn that village. Now there's all kinds of things that players can mess around with and investigate. Um, and it's, it's totally, it's dynamic, right? You, you never really know what you're going to get, but there's a, it's not just, it's, it's dynamic, but not really random because the parameters are already set as a GM. I've decided on the themes for these regions and the kind of things that generally can happen but not exactly what's going to happen.
1: And that gives you enough so you can answer the questions, right? So Sean asks us, you know, we're running, he asks the game master, well, are they from here? Or this doesn't make any sense, is it from, you know, and then you start asking questions, and then your improv muscles get get flexed because, like, oh, yeah, okay, i got to tie these two things together because of how I just rolled on these charts, so let's, let's hook them up. Okay, no, I like that. That's very cool.
3: Yeah, that's one of the definitely underlying themes for a hex crawl is – Uh, I would say maybe for OSR games in general, is that the GM is playing as much as the players are. You're not giving narrative control to the players like you would in, say, a story game, but you don't know what's going to happen as often as the players don't know what's going to happen. So that's pretty cool.
0: So how much much stuff do you put in a hex, and how big is it? Like, either like literally distance and then do you just keep one encounter set piece within a hex or do you put multiple ones i'll
3: give you an example so one of my favorite hex crawl products is actually treasure vaults of zadabad which maybe is it's all six mile hexes and it's uh i don't even know what do you think there are 45 hexes or so eric
2: I don't know. That book's not right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Any,
3: anyway. So, so go out and buy it, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and so if it say, it's 45 hexes, he's got, uh, I don't know, 16 or 18 actual things that happen that are set out of all of these hexes. All right. And then you roll a D12 to find out. And when you decide to roll a random encounter is kind of up to you. There's going to be some things, like they say each time you enter a hex, or whatever You roll a d12, and on the d12, it's 1 to 6. It's empty, so there's nothing that happens. 7 to 9 is a random encounter, and 10 to 12, and this is a tomb. And the reason the way they have tombs in here is because they actually put in 4 or 5 tombs that aren't placed on the map. So they could just show up any time when you happen to roll that tomb. Uh, and then you go to the actual area, like whatever type of hex it is. If it's a grassland or hills or a jungle, then you roll another uh, D six or whatever. And then you find what it, what's, what's on here. And then you make up the thing after that. So in my game, Kalmata, I took this map and I made it into one mile hexes, but I still kind of use the D 12, but I also added layer on there. So when your characters are traveling through a hex, you have the things that they're going to look for, but then you have this random roll that may create a layer or an encounter or a hazard or any number of different things, and that's what organically builds the story of the game. Does so when you're sense? saying
1: layer, you're not L A Y. You're talking like layer of like a place a monster lives, not a layer of a cake or something. And that's that's not the word you're using.
3: Correct. Yeah. L A I R. Okay. L-A-I-R. okay. The, like a layer of a monster or a ruin. I have ruin on my table as well, um, and then I'll just make up a ruin and throw it in there. Usually I'll roll like an, on another table that will kind of give me an idea of what the ruin's from. Uh, but these are all things that you know you do in uh, just a number of seconds like it's not something that i sit there and i roll and take a long time to decipher you know i just roll quickly and then okay now i quickly make a dis- split decision on what it is and then just let it go from there it'll build organically then okay or like, dynamically i guess that's
2: one of the things where um that we did with treasure vaults and you know i i kind of forget that it was a hex crawl product because it wasn't heavy on the hex crawl there was really there was it was a module right so we did have a a story going on there and there was, there was really a a little bit less open-ended sandboxy, but it was a hex crawl is that um, you do have those set locations. So, you know where these 16 things are on the Island. Um, And some of the encounters you get are the things that live there, right. Are out and about doing what they do. Um, Especially the kind of the big critters that live around. Uh, And that's really the, so, so as far as how big it's, whatever you want, really. I mean, I've kind of settled on six miles being a really good distance for the kind of sandbox hex crawls. I like to run, but you can certainly do. I've done one mile hexes. I was running a keep on the borderlands kind of hex crawl where each hex was like what was it three hundred yards or something. So it was really tight. Um,
1: Is there so when you say uh, when you when you settle on the six, is that because people spend more time in that hex doing things and not just busting out to the next one to the next one to the next one? Is that if you have a larger like this, this hex is 15 miles. People are going to spend time there longer than they would if it was 300 yards or 100 or a mile.
2: Yeah. So the reason I settled on six is, I guess, threefold. I don't see if I get three three reasons out of this. Uh, one is that it's big enough that if you move through it, it can reasonably be expected that you haven't found everything there. Got it. And 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 um, I've been using tables where, like we did in Treasure faults where uh, one of the one of the things that you can roll on randomly as players move through a hex is that there's a a mini dungeon there, a one page dungeon, or a dungeon, or or some kind of locale, right? An adventure locale, whatever that happens to be. And if it's too small, you'd see it if you move through type of thing, right? It's it's easy to explain that with a six mile hex, it's conceivable that there's stuff there you didn't find the first time you moved through. Um, two is that it's small enough that you can move through several of them a day, even in slightly rough terrain, so that um, you know, you're not just calculating parts of a hex that folks move through, like when a 25 or 30 mile <laughs> hex, right? That's too, it's just too big and too vast. Um, and then and then the last reason, which I'm I forgot, uh, what was the last <laughs> reason? Oh, um, six as opposed to five, I think, because it subdivides into into twelve hexes. Hexes easier, right? Okay. Yeah. So no, that makes sense it,
1: because if yeah. it's if it's large enough that you can't, it would take. It's conceivable we can miss stuff, and if anybody's ever gone hiking or hunting or spend time in the wilderness and any kind, going from point A to point B. There's tons of shit you miss. You know, you, you know, walk five miles and there's a lot of stuff you're going to miss. You just, you can't see it all in one day. Um, so yeah, I get that. That makes sense. And then you've got, yeah, I like that. Okay. So it's big enough to get people to move through it, but, and, but they could feel the need to come, potentially come back to it. And they're making forward progress. Like is it, they're heading to a dwarven mine to the North because that's a set piece they're trying to get to for whatever reason. They can feel like they're making progress, not just one hex every freaking gaming session. We're like, okay, great, it'll be six gaming sessions before we get to the fucking mine because it's you know six hexes across from where we are to there. Okay, that makes sense.
3: Here's some interesting statistics for you as well. Man, I'm having trouble speaking today. All right, Skyrim is supposedly 14 square miles. All right? So if you ever played Skyrim before, there's a lot of stuff that's happening all over Skyrim. It's how many hexes is that? Not very many. So to think that you could have a game of that size with all the things happening in Skyrim is pretty uh, amazing. Uh, The other things about a, a six mile hex is if you're standing in the center of it, they say the average human can see about three miles. Right. So if you're in the center of it, you can just see that hex. That's it. Whereas you have to move wherever direction you're moving, then you can decide past that. Uh, if you're traveling from uh, flat side to flat side on a six-mile hex, it's six miles. If you are going from corner to corner, it's seven miles. And if you are uh, three-and-a-half across or whatever from corner to corner. So it's just kind of interesting the way the math breaks down with a six-mile hex compared to other hexes. So
1: That's interesting. No, I like that. So, Sean, are you a big um, – one of the things that you and I have talked about, the random tables before for other things, random encounters and stuff. Traditionally, I don't roll – Where I don't, I tend to use tables as inspiration, and I tend to use them less for die rolls. I just think, hey, this would be interesting now, and I pull it off. Does the Sean? Do you think does the sounds of the you know make the tables and use the tables you know specifically to have these uh, this emergent type of thing? Does that sing to you, or what do you think?
0: I haven't used random tables or encounter tables for a while. I don't know why. It's just been, I think, some of the things I've been running just either don't have them or I haven't used them. Or maybe it's just a more linear adventure. Um, I've been watching. Yeah, (laughs) choo-choo. What? All right, here comes the train. There it is. Um, However, I I listened to Mr. Jason Hobbs on Friends and, and Friends of the OSR, and he also put it in die roll, which we'll go into. But Ben Hilton of Questing Beast, I was watching him review some settings. And the the encounter tables have come quite a ways from the days of old. Like, the drop the dice down, and the drop four dice, and you can make up a random encounter with three different elements uh, randomly it was pretty interesting and intriguing to me.
3: I have a few tables that, like, we've talked about this on our actual, on Hobbs & Friends, we have a series called Hex Crawl. So... There's like four of them, so if you want to learn more about, you mean
1: them. Hex Talk? Isn't it Hex Talk? Oh, you don't oh, even yeah. know the title of your own damn show. Yeah, well, Jesus,
3: it's been, it's, it's been a while, man. It's been a while,
1: but uh, uh
3: like I have tables that when I roll, I'll also roll. Say, okay, there's going to be an encounter, and now it'll be two lists of twenty. So I'll roll two d twenty, or sometimes three d twenty, and it'll be who is it, uh, where where are they at, or or and what are they doing? So all those things will just all be decided upon rolling three dice. So. And then you just make it up in your head quickly what's happening, and so much entertaining <laughs> scenarios can come out of that that you don't even know. Okay, we have you roll, and it says necromancers uh, uh, selling something, uh, fleeing. So all those are together, and then I'm like, okay, why is this happening? And so now you have these necromancers with carts with a bunch of dead bodies fleeing, an ogre that's after the dead bodies or something, and the characters just happen to see it from a little ways away. And what happens, you know? Got those it. Those the so.
1: Like I said, I mean, Sean and I have talked about it, and for whatever reason, random tables, I've never done a hex crawl. I mean, like, as we were describing here, and it sounds very interesting, and the more Sean and I have talked about the West Marches type approach and the exploration component of it, I've been thinking about doing something similar to this at some point. But I love the idea from what you and Eric are talking about here is having decent charts like that, really nice charts that, while indeed random, they lend really cool creative input. Because you get two or three things like that, add a couple you know, levels, layers on top of each other there. Why are these? Why, why is this happening in this location? Is it from here, outside, and so on? And you get a decent chart or two, and you can have the three bullet points that you would normally put into a standard encounter, right? If you're going to write down an encounter just nuts and bolts, you'd be like, okay, um, there's an ogre, and I want to do something different. There's some necromancers in a graveyard. Well, you, you could dream that up yourself anyway, but... If you had it randomly come at you, um, that surprise and desi- and, <laughs> and the necessity to improv your way through it is pretty freaking cool. If you wanted to, you could do something, and you could source the table. and Say, okay, these things are there. What's what's a reason you could get players involved? You could do all sorts of stuff with it. So, depending, I, I like that though. I haven't. I really think the use of the random charts for hex crawl has more. It's more attractive to me than the random charts for lots of other things I've seen when it comes to just random counters, I should say, random counter charts. I like the idea of it more for the hex crawl than for anything else I've thought about recently. This is really cool. I like this.
3: Yeah, Unfortunately, uh, Sean got to play in my hex crawl at uh, GaryCon, but... That never
0: happened. <laughs> I think it was five minutes.
1: <laughs> five minutes. You
3: guys... Got he got to play in it but the group he was playing with we had played the night before so they were very focused that they wanted to go back to exactly the same place so they didn't really explore anywhere else and uh the journey is a large portion of the of the adventure every time in a hex crawl because you are going from place to place but eventually it it, you know gets better and so you don't have as many things happen as a gm in that area but uh, there were some interesting encounters. Nothing actually came out of them, but the players got to see some interesting things and choose not to involve themselves with those things because they were focused on a particular thing. You know what I'm saying?
1: So you, you couldn't come up with anything interesting enough to dissuade them. Got it? Oh, okay. uh, that's not true. <laughs> I'm decent, I'm decent. That's not true. They they
3: got to see the giant uh, flesh cube. I don't know if you remember that, Sean. Yeah,
1: I do.
0: <laughs> flesh cube. But that wasn't interesting. Was was I don't something. know what that was. I think. <laughs> oh. Oh, good Lord! <laughs>
1: it was in
3: the
0: game, actually.
1: Oh, that's it's kind of a LARP. It's kind of a LARP. It wasn't good. It was there. Okay. Uh,
0: so what do you guys think is the biggest mistake a DM can can make? Yeah,
1: from the game master side. Because I can think that on the player side is I, I forgot anybody with any wilderness lore. I don't have a ranger. I got a bunch of city bred thieves.
3: We're gonna fucking die out here, guys. Well. <laughs> Most of the time, we're playing with BX that doesn't really have skills. Uh, you can add that to the game if you choose. I've found, I guess I'm kind of going off on a tangent from the question, but playing a drop-in, drop-out hex crawl game, the the style of the game changes so much depending on what players are playing. I've played with the grognardi guys, and I mean, all they really want to do is kill some stuff take the you know, kill stuff and take their gold and get back. They don't there's really not a lot of role playing. It's just the old style where you're kind of just playing yourself and trying to puzzle through uh situations. Where I've also played with a group that they decided they were going to play in two days and so for a day they were on a hangout role playing being in town. And so it mostly it was just them all role playing. So uh it can be both. Uh but as far as making a mistake, I would say Trying to keep it on the rails is probably the biggest mistake you can make. Uh, let the characters go and just let them do whatever it is they're trying to do, and throw stuff at them and see what sticks. I would say is is my suggestion in that situation. What about you, Eric?
2: I think uh, I think the biggest mistake you can make is not running one. You <laughs> know, because you're afraid of the scope or afraid of what um, um, of, of of that uh, giving the players that. That, that ability to do whatever, that, that agency, right? Um, give it a shot. Um, there's tons of resources out there, lots of people with blogs who have know more about and done more and have more ideas than I do. Just go steal them, right? <laughs> just go try it and um, keep it small to begin with And because the great thing about um, uh, hexes is, is that you can just keep expanding any direction you want, right? So keep it tight, keep it small and give the players some options and let them see what they want to do and then there's nothing wrong with saying, "Hey, I don't have that part done yet, so you know, give me a week and I'll, I'll flesh that out." If that's where you want to go, right? You don't have to create the whole world; just start small. And um, actually, Michael Shorten's got, um, who's a Chicago whiz, I think, on the, a lot of forums and stuff. He's the guy, or one of the two guys who originally came up with the one-page dungeon format way back in okay. the day. He's got a series of blogs right now. It's like three hex campaigns, where he just has three hexes he starts with and and what's in them, and then that's like the beginning of a campaign, and then if if people can move beyond that, so it can start that small.
1: You no, know, I'll tell you what, the small is really is, is near and dear to my heart, because one of the things I read out of, in DCC helped stress this back in my brain, was, you know, small is totally fine. If you don't leave a 10-mile area, or you don't leave a 12-mile area from where you guys start, that's legit adventuring, man. Not a lot of people, especially in that quasi-medieval fantasy type thing, have to go that far, and even if you were to do a hex crawl in space or a more modern one, you still can have plenty of adventure kick ass fun within the city of Chicago. You could have it on one or two planets or in a certain sector. You don't have to advance through all of known space to get where you're going to to get where you're gonna be. So I think that's pretty cool. And the idea of if you're new to it and you're not quite sure what to do and you're thinking the six mile hex makes sense. Give yourself 30 miles and be done with it. You know, 30-mile up, down, left, right, center, and that's it. It's just a 30-mile blob, and just work in that space, or even smaller if you want to. And that, that way it gives you a chance to kind of flex those muscles and see what you like or don't like. And to your point, Eric, it can grow. It's the wilderness, for Christ's sake. Just spread it out when you need it.
2: Exactly. Don't plot the trip to Mordor on your, on your hex crawl. right? Um, it's, again, one of the many things that the Tolkien um, genre has has done to harm gaming in my opinion is that it doesn't have to be this big epic journey across you know the known world um uh it doesn't have to be that right um it can be small that dcc uh you know kind of ethic where it is um you know the heroes are the only people who have gone 25 miles outside their hometown type of deal and that's totally a legitimate hex crawl because lots of stuff can happen i mean walk any 25 miles um uh most places, I mean, unless you guys in the Midwest, it's pretty much the same. But <laughs> everywhere else in the world, uh, 25 miles can change a lot, right? Your entire, your entire climate, your ecosystem, the the things that can be contained in a 25 mile march is is uh, is a whole campaign worth of stuff. Oh yeah, hell yeah.
1: So I got so the last one I had for you guys, I was just making some side notes to myself here. So Eric, if you're gonna run a hex call and you've got players who will play whatever system you want, what is your go-to system for what you would what, what, your hex crawl? What would you go for?
2: Yeah, you know, actually. Um, so my go-to system for anything is BX. I'm a, I'm I'm just I've I've gone all over the map in 30 years of gaming, and I've just I always come back to Tom Moldvay. Um, uh, just beyond his time. In uh, in game design, and it's everything I need and nothing I don't. But that said, my longest, most extensive hex crawling campaign was with the 3.5 um, rules, and that there's 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 some good there's some good things in there. And Ben Robbins in his Ars Ludai blog um, about the West Marches campaign that he ran does a better job than than I could. But there's some good stuff in there um, that support a hex crawl campaign. Uh, the encounter level concept. Um, the um, uh, the fact that combat does get pretty tactical, so you don't have to, uh, it's not as much of a, um, uh, the players have to ask permission for what they can do, whereas it's not a lot of narrative coming from the GM on, on what's possible and what's not. There's a lot to be said for that, but I'd still go with that. Okay, BX. so you're if I put a gun to your head and say, choose, you're like, fine, BX, fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it put a gun to my head and said, you can keep one, Role-playing book uh, for for the rest of your life. What would it be? And it's definitely the the basic rule book from by Tom. Okay, Holman.
1: Hobbs, you're gonna run a hex crawl. You you get to pick your system. What do you what are you running?
3: Well, every hex crawl I've ever ran has been with BX. Uh, I do think that there are extra things in Adventure Conqueror King that are gonna could help with it.
1: That's that game uh, system you love, but you never play it. This is weird to me.
3: I play it. I've (laughs) I've been running it in the home game occasionally, but I don't. I I play BX way more. the the thing The reason I started laughing when you asked Eric that is because uh, him, uh, myself, and Jose are talking about doing a group. West March's hexcrawl and the amount of time we spent on. You what mentioned system? this. You mentioned this to me
1: at GaryCon, and I just thought of it. We were wrapping up, like I gotta ask this because I made myself a note I Gotta ask this because uh, you told the, me about this.
3: Yeah, the amount of time we spent on what system we were going to use uh, was inordinately uh, long.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you would, if you uh, gunned your head, you're gonna pick BX. That's your preferred for this, even.
3: Yeah, it's the easiest.
1: Okay. It's the easiest to make stuff up quickly, for sure. For me. So Sean, what would if you based on what we talked about here if you were gonna start a uh hex crawl, do you have a system you grab onto
0: well, I was reading Beck me but i don't know or or swords and wizardry i've was looking at that i've so've read d c c it would definitely be well uh I don't know. <laughs> I've had those three in front of me and reading them, and at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, Five E may just be able to pull it off just as easily as anybody else in any, any other system. Um, I don't know. I don't think. I don't think the hex crawl has to be tied to a system. No, fair and enough. I, I, I was just curious I, what
1: you what you would yeah. go, what you would jump on. What if like if I said you're going if you're like, hey, are to run, it, I'm gonna run it with this because that's what you'd want to do. I'm just curious.
0: Now I do think that there's a bit of a feel to it and that a hex crawl kind of going back to the days of old um i would probably lean towards something that is either an older system or represents an older system so it doesn't have to be old it could have been published a week ago but if it makes it feel more i don't know for lack of better words nostalgic or whatever um great i think that's my reservation of doing it in 5e is just whip it out BX or whatever.
1: I would, uh, I would go with Osric cause I love, I love that layout for first edition. AD and D is my favorite incarnation of that. And I like using it as kind of a go-to for, for new stuff because I know it really, really well and it flows pretty simple. And I like first edition AD and D still to this day. So that's where I would think I would land. Probably do that.
2: Cool. Yeah. I, I would say for the most part, you, you really can't go wrong. Um, in fact, most of the hex crawl stuff that I've created, you could you could swap the systems, right? It's almost all usable. It's not really system dependent for the most right. part. Yeah.
1: Very cool. Sweet. So let's see, before we move out of here into the last bits, uh Eric, any last bits of wisdom you want to throw at people for uh Hex Hex crawling?
2: Uh no, just give it a shot if you haven't. Uh it's a really fun uh it's a really fun uh, way to play. Jason,
1: anything? Well,
3: I think that you should go and listen to Hex Talk. Well, absolutely. And if you hear that there's another uh, continued aspect of Hex Talk, you should definitely seek that out and listen (laughs) to it. Uh, But really, I mean, I don't really think I used Hex Crawls when I first started playing back in the day. It was more of a recent thing that I found in maybe the past uh, five to ten years. And I think it has created uh, some of the best stories and best gaming experience that i've really ever had so it's pretty darn awesome
1: very cool good to hear that's awesome all right man so if people out there listen to this and they like it obviously check out uh hobbs and friends of the osr he's always yammering on about this cool stuff so get over there listen to him see what he's got to say and if you've got thoughts and feedback here what we've talked about more questions We'll be glad to um, grab Hoffman or Hobbs and get them back on here so we can get so we can take take another run at it. But uh, I like this. Thank you, guys. This is really cool.
3: Well, thank you very much. I guess are we done talking? You're, we're supposed to thank you now. Or no, we're... no. Thanks
1: well, we, we'll us. go to we'll go to <laughs> die roll and wrap it up later. I just want to. I always try to do a little call, shout out to listeners, let them know what we want to hear, what they got to say. So
3: I really appreciate it. And uh, I was just talking to Chris the other day about that urban crawl, man. I think we're gonna put it in your. Uh, Avalon Kickstarter.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to let you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I think it's a really good idea. I'm excited about it. Yeah, me too. All right, let's go. Sean, shall we? Right. Die roll. Short list
0: this week. Brett's got Zippo. Yeah. I've got one. i got a couple. Um, one I wanted to bring up was Cyber Sprawl Classics. Uh, looks like Brent Alt put something together. Has me interested.
1: It's right. a cyberpunk supplement for DCC. Interesting. interesting. Yeah, I see interesting.
3: that? Yes, I I have not seen that one. Uh, actually, when Ben Milton was on my show, he talked about one that was uh, similar to Vornheim, but was created for uh, cyberpunk setting. And I was I can't remember what it's called, but it sounded really darn cool. So there's a lot of cool stuff coming out. This is the golden age, man. Very
0: cool. Yeah, I think I remember what uh you're right, I forgot about which one he was talking about Jason, but he was he was talking about how the 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 city creation pieces, I think was a component of it.
3: Yep, very a lot of random tables to help you create basically how what your urban environment is like.
0: Huh. Uh second one, thanks to Joe Swick for Shea LaBeouf, um the actual cannibal character <laughs> sheet that was made up. <laughs> <you do>
1: Did you did you hear the music that goes with the actual Cannibal Shia LaBeouf? Going, it's the go musical, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I'm like yeah. the fuck. This is a thing. This is hilarious. Yeah, okay.
0: somebody created a musical with Shia LaBeouf. That's just hilarious. Yeah, I'm gonna go and see it. I'm gonna get tickets this this fall.
3: <laughs> no, nice. I'm not gonna. Uh,
0: and then uh, Jason, you brought well, you mentioned one uh, on our Google Plus community, and I put it in here. You want to mention that?
3: Yeah, I know that uh, you guys have a broad listener base playing a lot of different systems, but I would say 5e is pretty strong one in your groups, probably. So I really thought you guys would be interested and uh, your listeners would like to see the uh, one of uh, Ben Milton's Questing Beast vlogs uh, on five D&D settings you've never heard of. Uh, so what this is about is basically Ben is a big fan of the OSR. I'd say more of the DIY segment, which is usually... Connected to Lamentations of the Flame Princess, um, but he did have five really cool settings. I mean, check it out. I mean, I own four, three, three out of the five. I think. Well, you've I got the hot
1: spring stuff, don't you?
3: Oh yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, you I showed have me spring that, stuff
1: which looks really freaking cool.
3: Yeah, it's it's awesome. And now uh, they actually have created because it's statless, so it's system agnostic. But people have created all the stats. For 5e and different systems. And they also create, there's a lot of random, there's a lot of encounter tables, or not even encounter tables, but roles that you have to make every time they enter a new hex to deal with the factions. And uh, there's a thing that you can just click on it, it'll do all that for you right, right on your computer. So you don't have to take the role, roles. You're still gonna have to make up what they. You know what exactly is going on, but the time it would have taken you to get that ready is all online now. So all the set stats and all the things. So, yeah, Jacob Hurst's uh, Hot Springs Island is uh, probably one of my favorites in there. So Did you guys watch it or no?
1: No, I have not seen it yet, but I'm going to give it a go. I've got it queued up on my YouTubes so when we're done recording. I can watch it.
0: I have, Hobbs. Yeah, what would you think of it? I actually watched quite a few of his videos. I, I was binging on him last night. I think I probably watched five or six. Um he does a good job, especially on the reviewing and the uh so the 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 one I started off was the one that we'll have in the show notes and uh, I liked it and then I just kinda went into this playlist from there and he goes into See I think that's uh Blue Medusa, Red and Pleasant Land, uh Vorenheim. Uh I think there's one Hot other Springs one
3: I... Island, uh Yoon Suin.
0: Yeah, that's in that video, but I mean, oh. talking about even just the individual ones. Oh, the
3: ones that he actually reviews. Yeah, there's a bunch yep. of them, and he's about to do uh, Operation Unfathomable too. So it's not only uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess stuff; it's a lot of stuff that he does.
0: It's yeah, and I think I think it was just coincidental that he they happen to be tied to Lamentations and James, but I, you know, they're all good stuff. Oh yeah, they're good stuff. I don't think it is coincidental because
3: he's a pretty interesting guy. Ben is. He's only been really gaming for the past five years or so. And he came into gaming, obviously, uh, at the end of fourth edition, and mostly his gaming life has been all 5e. Um, But if you compare 5e settings to OSR settings, and most specifically, the production values of the Lamentation books, you're going to see why people might come from 5e and go there first. Yeah, uh, It's kind of an interesting thing because I've talked to a lot of people. Oh, is the OSR going to die or is it relevant or what's that situation? And uh, I don't think it is, you know, because this shows you that it's not that far of a step to go from 5E to OSR stuff.
1: So. No, it's not. It's a gateway drug, man.
3: I guess I kind of got off on a tangent. Sorry. That's
0: all right. It's all good, brother. <laughs> it's good stuff, dude.
1: Cool, we'll link out there to uh, the stuff at Stormlord and all that good stuff. So we'll put that out in our show, show notes as well. Get you guys out to some drive through and all other good places to find Mr. Hoffman's goodies. So, Sean, anything else, man?
0: No, I want to thank Chad Blazer for the review on iTunes. Thank you very much. Yes, Chad, thank that. you, sir. Um, Mr. Hobbs, last words. Where can they find you? Where can they tune in to you? What, what, where, where can they find more Hubster? The best, uh, the best
3: place to talk to me is on Google plus Jason Hobbs or Hobbs and friends of the OSR community on Google plus, which has way more members than uh, gaming and BS. <laughs> I had to get that in there or on Twitter. I am at OSR and Hobbs for the podcast or at Hobbs indeed. Or send me an email, Hobbs and Friends at misdirectedmark.com. dot uh, com.
1: Porn bots are not people, just so you know. Son There's of a... about
0: fifty places to find Jason Hobbs. At least. They are,
3: at least. I am pretty active. I don't know why. Um, I'm always next to the Hoff though, because he really knows everything about hex crawls. He's the voice of hex. <laughs>
1: uh, the future of hex talk. <laughs> poor man. He's
2: like Jesus Christ. <laughs> the yeah, the the undisputed king of all things there you cool. go yeah. hey if
1: no if no one else has, if no one else is going to take the title brother, just grab it grab <laughs> right. it and go Mine! Sure.
0: Eric, where can people find you online if they want a little bit more of the Hoff?
2: not nearly as many places i I can, I can give my home address on this right <laughs> just a, if you stop by yeah, well, um, well
1: all six of our listeners will come over and see you at some
2: point <laughs> well we just have a game yeah, exactly. right uh, got a cool sand table yeah, in my do. basement um. Um, yeah, so on Google, uh, Eric Hoffman, um, uh, Stormwater Publishing is actually uh, no more, Aww. so uh, you can't find bow, me. Bow, yeah, bow. you can't find me there anymore. But um, some of our products live on in Drive Through RPG and Lulu. Um, you can search for Stormwater Publishing there, and uh, I might start blogging again. The Castellans Corner, I guess, is uh, is where I might be posting stuff uh, that I come up with in the near future.
0: Well, thank you so much for you guys coming on the show uh, to school us on the Hex Space. Definitely. We appreciate it so much. Um, Yeah. Well, we haven't done skill check. Should we do skill check, run these guys through skill check? We've had Hobbs
1: before, so it's just after Hoffman now. Oh, that's true. We know enough about Hobbs. Yeah, we'll get Eric. get Eric. Go, get him.
0: All right, Eric, you Uh, ready for skill check?
2: I have no idea what that (laughs) is. He doesn't listen to your show. He doesn't have to.
0: Hey, he gives us money. That's all that matters. That's right.
2: Actually, you know, I do listen, and I'm a patron, but its um, I usually listen while I'm working out, and I usually don't work out for an hour, so I never get to the <laughs> part. <laughs>
0: we, only, we only have it when there's guests on, so it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> All right, keep going. All right, Eric, GM or player?
2: Uh, Usually GM. All right,
0: screen or no screen?
2: I love screens.
0: Uh, <laughs> modules or original content?
2: Uh, both both oh
1: gun to your head gun, i'm gonna make you pick one
2: uh original content go. nice
0: balanced encounter or screw balance
2: screw balance yeah At, <laughs> attaboy yeah good man sounded,
0: that sounded really convincing
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be some it doesn't be balanced but there's got to be some uh it, it can't just be random nonsense i i don't like that either but there's no such thing as balance in the world, right? But there's gotta be verisimilitude.
0: I like that answer. Weak. Uh favorite RPG you already kinda mentioned, but maybe it's not overall.
2: Yeah, definitely Dungeons and Dragons and favorite edition is definitely B X.
0: RPG you're gonna be playing in the next week or month.
2: <laughs> B X. Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons. Uh, Tomorrow. And, and Traveler, uh old school traveler. Um those are two most likely in the next month all right
0: well excellent again thanks for coming on the show guys much appreciated
2: hardly heard at all that's good <laughs> the
1: brand'll no, we'll get you the brand will hit you uh, next next Gary Con, so we'll get you there. I, I really so, enjoyed it
0: thank you guys
1: no, good to have you boys on thank you very much Very cool.
2: thanks guys appreciate it.
1: So Brett what are we talking about next week I have no idea we'll see what happens. I have no clue. I seriously don't. I normally try to fake it and make it sound like I have an idea. I'm really not sure this time, so I'll come up with something. I promise you.
0: All right. Well, this has been another episode of Gaming NBS. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming NBS brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Aaron Coleman, Alexander Auerbach, Blake Ryan, Brandon Barnes, Brett's Biggest Fan, Bruce Cunnington, Chad Gleiman, Chris Steele, Christopher Gray, Christopher Lang, Corey Johnston, Corey Welch, Craig, Craig Huber, Curtis Takahashi, C.W. Mellencamp, Dan Lavalley, Edwin Nagy, Eileen Barnes, Eli Kurtz, Eric Jeppesen, Eric The Hoff Hoffman, Evan Harrison Cass, Finn Ulf, Forstagary, Gordon Cranford, Howard Bishop, James Carpio, not Caprio, Jared Rasher, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Jason, JV, Jim Fitzpatrick, Joe Swick, Steve, John Steve, John Hammersley, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Lori. Ugh, 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 Larry Hout, Lord Tentacle, Mark Saka, Mark Richmond, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Michael Drescher, Mirko Froilich, Misdirected Mark Productions, Neil Benson, Palladian, Peter Skeines, Terry ter Pure Modern Girl, Roy Otis, Remy Billado, Roger Bracelet Ron Bishop, Sean Nicholson, Sky, Soldier's Misfortune RPG, The Knights of the Night Crew, The Closet Gamer, The Lost Sailor, Thomas Hook, Tim Jensen, Tim Shorts, Todd Crapper, Todd McGowan, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Wayne Humphleet, static and Xavier G. Find ways to support the show, head over to GamingBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks BSers! This, this has been a Litterbox Box Studio production. Studio. production.